This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. We're talking to Christian Wheeler. He's the Stratacom Professor of Management and the Professor of Marketing at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. And he's a, a psychologist who works on attitudes and persuasion. And his latest research uh, is about uh, when people prefer polarizing products, what that tells other people about those kind of people. Totally. (laughs) You uh, you got it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And Christian was just telling us why he he thinks this effect occurs. Um, Yeah. So, uh, so to to go to your your question, Bart, the next the next step then is is to say, well, if these polarizing products are seen as more self-expressive, what are the, what are the implications of that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and one implication seems to be that uh, those products then should be preferred by people more when they uh, feel a need to engage in self-expression. Um, wow, that's a strong. A uh, uh, hypothesis, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Super strong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chris is like, oh yeah, let me tell you, they'll make a squared on that. It's super, super strong. P less than point zero 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 one, as it were. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so uh, one way you could look at this is that there there are individual differences in the need for self-expression. So mm-hmm. one one context in which self-expression needs arise is when people feel like they lack a clear and coherent identity. Mm-hmm. And uh, so psychologists have identified uh, a variable called self-concept clarity. Uh, And this is an individual difference variable. There's a scale that measures it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it basically assesses the extent to which you think you have a a clear and coherent sense of yourself. So Mm -hmm. some people feel like they have a strong and clear identity and other people don't. Um, And so to the extent that these polarizing products are serving as a self-expression vehicle and to the extent that lacking self-clarity should promote a need for self-expression, you might predict that those people who are low in self-concept clarity would have a greater uh, liking for these polarizing products. And that is, in fact, what we found. Oh, Oh, wow. That is interesting. That's pretty cool. Yeah, Yeah. that's very, very cool. So you did that with hypothetical products or you did it with real products? You measured that, I assume, or did you manipulate that self-clarity? He measured it. Yeah, self-concept clarity. I was like, who, who's the, who wrote the scale, well, Christian? Who's the scale? So, so in, in one of our studies, we what was the question about the scale? No, I just, I, I'm not familiar with the, the people who made the I was just wondering if you yeah. measured it or, or could you manipulate it? He probably so. did both. I bet he primes. <laughs> we, we did, we did you know? both, yeah. <laughs> yes. The problem when you measure an individual difference, yes. of course, is that they're correlated with a lot of things that you may or may not know. Right. Um, so you can never be... 100% positive that that dimension captured by the scale is what's causing the effects or something else that might be related to it. Um, so you can get at a cleaner method of that by, by manipulating it. And so uh, we manipulated that in a subsequent study. We basically asked people to write about uh, a time when they felt like they uh, had consistent views about themselves uh, that didn't change. Um, where they had a clear oh. and uh, sure vision of themselves, or the opposite, a time when they felt like they didn't have a clear and consistent view. And so these types of uh, manipulations uh, put people in a mindset where they are now reflecting on a time when they felt clear and consistent or unclear, um, and that can spill over to their subsequent judgments. And so when you have people think about a time when they didn't feel like they really knew who they were, or they didn't have a clear sense of themselves, and then, uh, again, you show them either a product with a bimodal or unimodal 
distribution. That's you amazing find that, to me. That's cool. Yeah. So this, when I feel like I don't know who I am, then that, that polarizing product becomes more appealing to me. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's better, and I'm willing to spend more money on it. Okay, so you did this with hypothetical products by manipulating those ratings. Did you then take it to real products to mm. see if there was any evidence of this kind of stuff happening in the real world? Yeah, so we, we do have some studies where we did this with products. Again, we manipulated the distributions for those products, but we have done it um, with, with other products. But there is something interesting, too, in the sense that... Uh, you don't even need to see the distribution for the effect to hold up. And what I mean by this is um, we had uh, one study we gave people uh, something like 100 different Amazon products. We went to all of the the categories of Amazon. Amazon has all of these different uh, divisions for their products. And we took uh, the top-selling product in each category, uh, provided that it was a relatively uh, gender-neutral product. And we had people um, give a reading of the product, (laughs) and we had them say how self-expressive the product was. Okay? Okay. What they saw was the Amazon page minus the ratings distribution. Ah, and then you correlated that with the actual distribution. So then then we took the distributions of our participant sample, Mm -hmm. and from there we could compute. uh, There's a a statistical measure where you can compute how bimodal, and so for our purposes, how polarizing the product was among our sample. Mm -hmm. And you can correlate that on a product level with how self-expressive people thought the product was. Mm. And so people who happened to feel, uh, you know, across our sample that the product was polarizing, also rated that product as being more wow, expressive. So that's cool. really interesting. That's clever. Right, so it's, it seems like, you know, I can tell I, I'm not necessarily thinking about it explicitly because we didn't ask anybody how polarizing the product was. But, mm-hmm. but when that polarization emerges from their collective ratings, um, those are the products that they view as, as being stronger identity signals. And do you remember what the products were that were more polarizing? Just curious. Uh, I do not offhand, no. Because you tried to be not have a hypothesis going in and just <laughs> right. letting the data explain it. Totally. Yeah. So, so is it fair then to say an implication of this research is that um, if you're if you have products that you're making that are on purpose polarizing? Because mm-hmm. I could imagine you might want to do that because it builds stronger loyalty with the people who really like it. You know, would, yeah. then you would find that it's people who want to express their identity more through product purchase. So certain product categories, this would hold better than other product categories. Uh, I followed you up until that last part. What do you mean? Well, about I mean, I, I guess there's some, and America's I know does research on this too. There might be some categories where you're expressing your own identity more mm. than in other categories. So maybe like in clothing or something like that, ah. that you would see these effects stronger. be stronger. Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So we have some studies where uh, right. mm-hmm. we also look at why you're purchasing the product. And so in some cases that might depend on the product category or even within a product category, holding that constant, you could imagine that there are some purchases you make for self-expressive reasons and some you don't. For example, if you take something like shoes, um, we, many of us have shoes that we wear for self-expressive purposes. We Mm want to show people that we have good fashion style or whatever. Mm -hmm. And there are other shoes that are more self-expressive, like something you might use for hiking or gardening or, um, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we find is that you get these effects emerging when you're purchasing the product for a self-expressive purpose. That's mm-hmm. what I was predicting. Yeah, right. you're you're but it. not when you're purchasing it for a functional purpose. Right. Gotcha. That makes and total similarly, sense. similarly, within the product, um, you could imagine, uh, as I alluded to earlier, where you could have ratings along different aspects of the product. So, for example, 
Uh, Zappos, I believe, separates out ratings of style versus comfort, for example. And so you may have more functional attributes of a product Mm -hmm. or less functional attributes of a product. And again, you find it emerging more when you're talking about a a more self-expressive attribute of the product, like the the product style. Let me ask you this, Christian. Uh, This is really fascinating because I think there's an inherent kind of interesting managerial component to this. And that's to say that, you know, in some senses, you know, you would like to get a lot of people, you know, liking the product. But here, I think what an implication of this research is, is that, you know, in these polarizing contexts, you know, you've got a clear sort of group that really doesn't like it. So that's a segment that's, you know, is going to be super negative, which is not necessarily a thing that you want to have necessarily. But I think it's interestingly counterbalanced by the fact that two things. One is that the fact that the people who really like it are going to really, really like it. But the fact that there's an implication that they, they have the potential to be more uh, connected to the brand from an identity perspective, which would re- which would benefit the brand in terms of all these other kind of self-expressive outcomes that come from the types of brands that are signals of identity, such that you know you're you're a stronger advocate for it, you defend it more, you're kind of a, a walking brand evangelist for it because it's a strong signal of your identity. Could you talk a little bit about that kind of interesting kind of nuance there? Uh, yeah, well, I don't have a whole lot to say except that I agree. And we we teach in our marketing classes, you know, that uh, products don't have to be everything to everybody. Mm-hmm. It's better to have a a small a smaller group of people love you passionately than a larger group of people you know like you a little bit. Uh, and so I, I think that's right. And I think um, again, particularly for these these products that are naturally consumed for self expressive purposes. Uh, you want to make them strong vehicles for self-expression, yeah. Uh, and mm-hmm. so one way you, one way you do that is by signaling who the product is not for. Interesting. Let me follow up. Just one. This is so fascinating. Let me just follow up one quick question here, Christian. So, so you you've seen this effect for people who are um, evaluate basically coming up with an impression of a person who likes the product or not. Mm-hmm. Um, do you also see this for? The, the people who who actually have the product. So do they look at that brand and do they think that brand that they like that comes from the bimodal distribution, do they think that brand is more self-expressive to them? Um, will, can they detect that? Or will that be something that emerges in how they, they themselves relate to the brand? Well, we, ha- we have shown that, that I, I'm not quite sure what you're asking, but we have shown that these polarizing products are both seen as more informational about other people, but also more self-expressive for themselves. Okay, I mean, yes. That's yes. something that clearly follows from, our, from the bulk of our work, showing that people have a preference for those products when they have self, self-expression gotcha. needs. Gotcha, gotcha, right? um, and so And in fact, we find that when they do have that increased preference for polarizing products, uh, it's driven by the fact that they think it's going to be a good vehicle for self-expression. Gotcha, gotcha. Very interesting. So I'm going to ask you a question. I'm glad America's asked all those questions because I'm going to take it in a different direction. Okay. <laughs> so it's good to keep it. Because I'm thinking about this, and so you're almost advocating, although not quite, that it's good to have negative reviews and positive reviews because of this, po- you know, the effects of this polarization. But I, I, as I've been looking at, I've been doing a bunch of research on retailing, and I have found that these consumers Consumer reviews are used quite a lot for people making decisions. A lot of the Gen Z and millennial consumers, mm-hmm. that's how they make decisions on which products to choose or not. Mm-hmm. And my belief is that they look more at the mean than at the um, distribution, as you're suggesting. So if you're including more polarizing reviews, you're essentially going to be lowering the mean. And I would think that would not be a good thing. 
Yeah, so I guess one thing about all of our studies is because we were able to manipulate the distributions, we were able to hold the mean constant. Mm. Um, uh, so this is controlling for that mean. You're right. I would think probably all things equal, uh, lower means are not as good. Right, because uh, mean is a much stronger signal than any kind of distribution. Yeah, absolutely. Although I would say... Um, you know, it probably depends on, on the consumer, and it probably depends on the purchase context. I know in my own experience that um, the mean ratings or even necessarily the distribution of ratings uh, by itself doesn't say everything to me. Mm-hmm. I want to know who's giving the positive ratings and who's giving the negative ratings. Oftentimes, once I uncover who's giving the negative ratings and why, that makes me all the more confident that that product yeah, is something no, I, I want to Yeah, no, I can understand consume. that. That certainly makes sense. But it's just been my experience when I talk to people on using reviews, because I actually find it ridiculous that people rely on reviews mm-hmm. so much <laughs> for that reason, because you don't know if there are crazy people doing it or whatever. <laughs> but, but I have found, just uh, anecdotally, Totally. More and more, these people are using the reviews, and what they use as a heuristic is the number of reviews. Mm, mm. And so you would think the more reviews something gets, that's an indicator of quality, too. Mm. So rather than look at the distribution, they look at the number of reviews. And as we know, like if you get more and more and more reviews, that's probably going to move it more to a normal distribution, mm. um, unless there really is extreme polarization going on. Mm. So it's just kind of interesting. I, we only have a few seconds left, but I'm curious <coughs> if you have any general reactions about the movement that we really are seeing is how important consumer reviews are in people's choice of products. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I I think you're right that all of these things feed into someone's evaluation, right? They're looking uh, at the mean, they're looking at the number of ratings, although often maybe not as much as they should, uh, and thinking about whether or not they can, those conclusions are generalizable to somebody like themselves. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. 